0: Thanks, Mark. I would like to uh, add one more thing and stop and pray for that. Uh, one of the things I really enjoy about um, the Internet, I don't have time to stay as current sometimes, and Sundays is usually one of those days, and several of you have already called attention today about the police shooting going on right now in Baton Rouge. And uh, you think last week we talked about Dallas. Uh, we haven't even had a chance to talk about Nice, France, and uh, right now there's uh, police shooting going on in Baton Rouge and they, uh, they I think they've confirmed two policemen have died and a third one they suspect and I just want to stop and pray. Boy I just I just hold up my hands and I'm just astonished. I'm just astonished. The thought of doing these things well I may have wanted to do it to one of my teenagers once but <laughs> seriously I, I don't know what to make of it let's just stop and pray to the one who does know. God, we lift up uh, the families and the victims in France. Lord, uh, pray that you would, you would be with them. Uh, Lord, we we haven't even gotten past Dallas and we're already praying for that and we haven't even had a chance to pray for that and now we have shootings going on in Baton Rouge. Lord, you you've been so clear that as the further away we move from you, the more comfortable we are with violence. And um, Father, all I can make of this is that we're comfortable with violence. God, we so desperately need your help. We just pray, Lord, that you would intervene in a grand way, not only in our country, but in all these other countries, Lord, where People feel comfortable taking one another's lives. Help us, Lord. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to learn what it means to be uh, joyful through peace. I have no problem with expressing our viewpoints and all that, but I I don't think violence is the answer. So God, I pray that you would help us. Uh, And I'm sorry on behalf of our broken world and my own country, I'm sorry that we would resort to this level of violence to satisfy personal desires so be with us lord in your son's name we pray amen okay we are uh spending time this whole summer in the psalms and we've kind of been on a whirlwind tour haven't we we've looked at uh, psalm 5 and there i shared the story of losing my first wife and um it's kind of interesting as i walk through the crowd greeting people how many of you uh commented and said you made me cry on that Sunday well hello it's a lament we're supposed to cry when things go wrong aren't we we should cry for each other I I I didn't I don't like to be manipulative I didn't try to make you cry but I'm glad some of you did I did I've cried for others then we, uh, we, by the way, we went to from there and we looked at what Paul did in Romans 3 with that same lament as an expression of the gospel. I shared with you how God got us to overseas as missionaries, and we did a psalm of thanksgiving there. And what a wonderful thing that was. And as we've woven our way through the psalms, we have made it into the New Testament each time. And I hope you're paying attention. We've got Paul. We've got the author of Hebrews. We've got Peter. All these people are using the psalms. Now, they don't use it the way we do. What we like to do is we like to be down here and camp out in the New Testament. We like to say, hey, uh, what if there's a psalm or an Old Testament passage that would support that? So we go back into the Old Testament to find a passage. That's not what they did at all. This was all they had. This was it. The Hebrew scriptures, what we think of as the Old Testament, that's all they had. They're making sense of what happened with Jesus and their own world by using the Old Testament. Then they wrote something using the Old Testament as a model to explain life. So they didn't have the chance to go to the New Testament and look backwards. They hadn't been written yet. That's what they were doing. So what we're going to see today, the same thing happening. But before we look at Psalm 34, I mean, before we look at the New Testament, we have to look at Psalm 34 and ask the question, why on earth would an author of the New Testament, New Testament use Psalm 34 as their, one of their key foundational passages to make sense of the world? Well, Psalm 34, now we don't know from the Psalms. They have what we call, you know, superscriptions. There's little words under the title. This was a Psalm of David when he did X or whatever. Those are not part of the original manuscripts. They're not part of the inspired text. But they, but they give us a glimpse of how ang- the ancient people looked at those psalms. And so they have ascribed Psalm 34 to David when he ran from Saul. So I'm just going to read to you what happened. And w- whether or not this is what happened, I don't know. But it certainly gives us a fantastic story from which to understand Psalm 34. So 1 Samuel 21 and verse 10 That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, who was the king of Gath. That's a Philistine uh, city. He left and did the very thing he wasn't supposed to do. Uh, You ought to look at the number of times David (laughs) went and hid with God's enemies. It's pretty fun. But that's what he did. He went there. But the servants of Achish said to, to the king, isn't this David? Isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So David runs away from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him. And he goes over to the enemy and to the Philistine camp. And, uh, and guess what? They recognize him. He's well known. He's already a celebrity because he's killed a bunch of their people. He's killed tens of thousands. That's, what, that's the way they would ascribe glory. And so the, uh, the advisors to the king said, you know, this isn't a very good idea. The guy that's been so successful in his military campaigns, do we really want that guy hanging out here? All right, now he's already gone. He's already there, and he immediately recognizes he's in enemy camp, okay? It's kind of like what happens when we go to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I'm just teasing. I ran into a lot of Oklahomans today, a whole bunch of them right there. It's what happens when we, when we find ourselves in unwanted territory surrounded by people that don't love us. And not only are they not, do they not love us, maybe they're out to hurt us. Some of you have been there in an employment situation. Some of you have been in hostile environments in the military. You know what I'm talking about. And where are you going to go? He thought he could hide, and he couldn't. Because when he got there, they said, this is the guy that is so successful, we, we, let's not welcome him. I suspect what they're saying is, let's kill him. So David, verse 12, appropriately took these words to heart and was very much afraid of the king of Gath. He was terrified. He was terrified. So he does what any sane person decides to do. He pretends to be insane. I love it. I would have never thought about that. I would have tried to hide. I would have tried to run. That's not what David did. He pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, so apparently they grabbed hold of him now. They've got control of him. So he's only got a couple of options available. He goes for the insanity plea. He acts like a, a madman. I love that. He makes marks on the doors of the gate. He lets saliva run down his beard. He's acting like somebody who's a madman. So the king said to his servants, look at the man. He's insane. Why bring him to me? I love this next question. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Honestly, that's sometimes how I feel about our country. Or our church. Yeah. How many times have I stood up here and and called our people knuckleheads and idiots and all that? Of course, you know I'm joking. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So they kicked him out and he got away with his life. Now, if this is the background for Psalm 34, it's perfect. It's just perfect because in Psalm 34, you get to read uh, what happened when... David, if it was David, got out of a terrifying situation. If not, we could find other stories that make sense. But use that as a background to Psalm 34. Because when we get to the New Testament, you're going to be scratching your head. I was. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Exalt us. Let us ex- exalt his name together. These are the opening words. I could just see him with his 30 mighty men. He gets to escape from the Philistine land. and He goes, whew, wow. And what's the first thing he says? Glorify the Lord with me. This is, I think, a psalm of thanksgiving. He's thankful to the Lord for he escaped with his life. They had him in irons. They had him controlled. And he managed to get away. So the very first thing we learn is glorify the Lord with me. Then he moves from there in verse 4 and says something else. I sought the Lord and he answered me. Now this becomes a model for those of you that are in the middle of terrifying situations. Challenging situations. Situations where you don't know where to turn. It'd be so great if life was easy. We could just look up in the index. Well, how do I handle this and how do I handle that? We can't do that, can we? No, we have to learn from the people that came before us. So, David's first thing to do is to say, Glorify the Lord with me. The second thing he says is, He will answer our prayers. Listen to this section. I sought the Lord and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who took to him to look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man, he's referring to himself, this poor man called out and the Lord heard him. The Lord will hear. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Now, there's a little bit of a play on words here. That's just worth noticing. In verse 4, he says, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. In verse 7, He says, the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So the the whole way to have God relieve those fears is to fear the Lord. As you turn to the Lord and you begin to respect the Lord, your own fears begin to subside subside because you have confidence in who the Lord is. All right, and then from there, he introduces probably the heart of the psalm. We're going to see this one again in just a minute in the New Testament. This is an important one. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. So where does he come from? He say, He's inviting, glorify the Lord with me. And then he says, the Lord will answer our prayers. He answered mine. And I can personally attest to you, he's answered mine on many occasions. I've shared those stories with you. So David said, he'll answer your prayers. I know that because he's answered mine. And then he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. No matter how confusing the world gets around you, and by the way, it's a pretty confusing place right now. It's terribly confusing. No matter how confusing your own life circumstances, your circumstance, our circumstances nationally, no matter how confusing they get, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's keep our vision. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace. Seek peace. Seek peace. Don't forget that. Pray for peace. And pursue it. Go after it. Go after it. So remember, he just escaped with his life, and he invites you to glorify the Lord with me. Look what just happened. And then he says, he will answer your prayers the way I know is because he answered mine. And I can assure you, he'll answer your prayers because he answered mine. And then he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The mess we're facing, faced with all around us, through the middle of that, we can remember that the Lord is good. He is dependable. And then he goes from there and says, okay, now, understand the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's on your side. He is. You have nothing to fear. Even if it's a hard and challenging time, have confidence that the Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord knows what he's doing. We're going to look at the question of why with this one in just a minute. So, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. So, God really is on your side. Later on in the New Testament, we're going to hear language like... uh that uh, every, God makes everything work to the good for those who love him. You may not like it in the middle of it, but you can have confidence that God does know what he's doing. Just let him have his way. Just be patient with him. And then he goes out, and, he, and the next thing he says, he encourages us to cry out to the Lord because he hears us. So the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. During Judy's final illness, uh, my pastor gave me this verse, and I memorized it, and I said it every day. I said it 100 times a day as she was dying. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's right there. This is a statement of his care. It's a statement of his passion. It's a statement of his love. It's also a statement of his sorrow because of what you're going through. The Lord does understand. So he says, cry out to the God because he hears us. He continues on. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. That's how much the Lord cares about you. And then he concludes, almost concludes, with verse 21. Evil will slay the wicked. I love that. Evil will slay the wicked. You don't have to worry about the people that are doing you harm. Don't have to get vengeance. You just don't have to. Evil will take care of it for you. You can rest. Okay, then he has this verse, which is really all on its own. And the reason why I say that, because the whole psalm is written where every verse follows a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It starts. That's the way... Using a mnemonic device, that's the way they help them learn. This is one of those examples. So just like we'd start with uh, our first verse would begin with the letter A. Second verse would begin with the letter B. Third verse would begin with the letter C. Third verse, you see what I'm doing, right? That's the way to help them remember. But when you get to verse 22, he finished in verse 21. 22 stands out all by itself. This is the summary. The Lord will rescue or redeem. His servants. That's kind of the catchphrase. That's the summary, if you will. That's the the verse that he's driving us to, to give us a sense of confidence. The Lord will rescue his servants. He will redeem them. Do you know what the concept of redemption means? We use that term all the time. It's a good Christian term. We find it all throughout the Bible. And you know what it means real simply? You got yourself in a jam and you can't get yourself out of it. And so God has to step in and get you out of it. It could be we use it for salvation, appropriately so, but it's far bigger than that. In the Old Testament, somebody gets themselves in a jam financially. I'm in over my head. They didn't have the concept of bankruptcy, but I'm ready to file for bankruptcy. I can't get myself out. So in in the case of bankruptcy, I'm asking the government to step in and bail me out. But in the Old Testament, the Redeemer was one of the family members would step in and say, "I'll, I'll bail you out. Remember, we've asked the question, why does God bless a nation? Why? So that the rest of the world will look and come and learn about the one true God. So that automatically asks the question: Why does God bless you? Why? He blessed you for one reason: to be a blessing to others. So that the people around you will come to know. They they took that the to heart in the Old Testament. So I'm lo- I'm looking, and God has blessed me, and I have quite a bit of wealth. And I see my nephew over here has really made some tragic decisions. I'm going to step in and bail him out and pay his debt. That's what redemption is. That's what redemption is. And that's what he's saying, that the Lord, he will redeem you. In this case, David is not talking about salvation. He's talking about, I am in trouble. My life is in trouble. And the Lord redeemed me. He stepped in and got me out of trouble. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. No one. See how this could be a statement of thanksgiving, especially given the dire straits that David was in when he comes out of it? Oh, glorify the Lord with me. I did it. I escaped with my life. He did protect me. He will hear your prayers because he's heard my prayers and answered them. You see how we walk through that? Okay. This psalm is the backbone of Peter's message in 1 Peter. Why in the world would he use this psalm? He's talking about wives submitting to husbands. Husbands, be gentle with your wives. Slaves, obey your masters even if it's not, even if you didn't do anything wrong. He goes through all that language. Why would he use this psalm here? Of all the psalms he had to pick from, he used this one. I'm going to turn to 1 Peter and just take you through what I think is going on. It's a pretty fascinating story when you look at it. You see, David has got himself in a bind, and he can't get out of it. Peter is about to argue that God's going to put you in a bind and you can't get out of it. He's going to place you in a position that feels awkward or uncomfortable. He's going to do it on purpose because he wants to use you as an example to the people who don't know him. He's going to ask you to do things that are costly. He's going to ask you to do things that do not feel comfortable at all. He's going to ask you to do things that sometimes terrify you. And he's going to place you in that situation sometimes. Sometimes you get yourself there. And so he goes back to Psalm 34 as a model of why and how to respond. Right off the bat, right off the bat, here's what Peter says. To God's elect, exiles, hear those words, foreigners, exiles. The moment you turn to Christ, you become an exile. You become an alien. You become a foreigner in a strange land. We don't understand killings, do we? Violence, police shootings, terror sex. We don't understand that. Rightfully so. I praise God we don't understand that. We're, We're in a place. This world is not made for us the way it's currently structured. So he writes off the bat, exiles scattered throughout all the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So right off the bat, he gives us confidence. We can trust the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And then you move quickly through chapter 1 to verse 15. Just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. This is not a statement to become holy, not to work toward holiness. This is a statement that you already are holy. Just live it out. Live out the holiness. When you turn to Christ, you're holy. Live it out. That's why we talk about living out our faith and paying attention. And he goes, has lots of very good words there. And then in chapter two, chapter 2, he says, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Why? Because that's all the world understands. This is what they understand. Act differently. Live your life differently. Like newborn babies, long for pure spiritual milk so that you can grow in it. And then he says, now that do this because you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So now he's calling on your experience. Look back, every one of you. Don't pay attention to what's going on right now. Look back. Every one of you has seen the Lord answer prayer. If you haven't. You're not going to be here. You've already tasted that hope. That's what makes you go back to the Lord and say you want it again. I want that blessing again. I want you to intervene. I want to be so important to you, Lord, that you're going to listen to the desires of my heart. And he's saying, you've already tasted that the Lord is good. And then in verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What in the world is he talking about? What did a priest do? He mediated between God and someone else. So when you read that, he has made you, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Here's what you should say. On behalf of whom? Whom am I a priest on behalf of? We're a church. We're a community of faith. Who are we priests on behalf of? The world. All the people that mock us, that turn a blind eye or a deaf ear, the people that reject us, sometimes they make fun of our Christianity, often they're just indifferent and don't care. The world in which we live, that's who we're priests of. So when you see the word priest and you're called a priest, ask the question, Who am i a priest on behalf of? Love your neighbors. Isn't that what Christ said? pray for one another that's what it means to be a priest and then down in verse 9 you are a chosen people this is a quote from exodus 19 you are a chosen people a royal priesthood you're a holy nation you're god's special possession why why are you a special possession here it is so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light why has god blessed you so that you can declare his praises. That's why. You know what? When you start, when you start showing malice, deceit, hypocrisy, inverse slander, envy, slander, all that stuff, you look just like the world. We're not better than the world. We have a different calling. We have a new purpose, and that is to declare his praises. So why does God bless you? So that you could be a blessing to others. Why does God take you through odd circumstances? so that you can show the world what it looks like to respond well. Why does God put you in situations in which you don't want to be? Because you become a model for the people around you that don't yet know who he is. That's why. Let him have his way. Then he goes from there. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you, I got called a pagan this morning, by the way. I won't tell you who, what her name is, but her initials Or Sherry (laughs) Wuronski. But in all fairness, I called her a pagan last week. So now we're even. She didn't show up for a meeting. I sent her a text and just said pagan. I didn't show up yesterday. She sent me a a voice this morning, a pagan. (laughs) Live such good lies. You know what a pagan is? Somebody just doesn't know. They just don't know. Live such good lives among the people around you so that they can accuse you. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day when he shows up. And then he starts all these wonderful texts, which we love to fight over. Slaves, verse 18. Wives, verse three. chapter 3, verse 1. Husbands, chapter 3, verse 7. I'm not going to get into all that. All, all I want to say about those situations is that he has given us an entirely new way is it appropriate for wives to submit to husbands absolutely it is in a world where they were expected to obey because they're often considered property what he's saying is as soon as he takes the word obedience out and puts the word submission in he's automatically implying peers submission is something you do voluntarily Paul says submit yourselves to one another that's what being priests are all about is putting others first is it appropriate for a wife to submit to a husband yes Is it appropriate for a husband to submit to a wife? Yes. In other words, put each other first. The Bible is filled with that language from beginning to end, the New Testament. This is what the New Covenant looks like. For the first time in history under the New Covenant because of Jesus, the world can look at us, and this is what they should see. They should see us sacrificing, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, loving each other putting each other first. I mean, the verses go on and on. We can sit here and quote them for a long time because they don't know how to do that. Not well. We should be experts at it. So all these passages are here. This is the same story of David in Psalm 34. God is going to put you in situations where sometimes you get yourself there and sometimes you ended up there because he moved you there. But in both situations, it's going to be uncomfortable. It really is. Learn what it means to put others first. To put them before you. So you have this language in here. To the slaves, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you already as an example. You know, there's, you've heard me say there's no billboard flashing lights. God is, God is God. There's no airplane with a banner behind it. We are his way of letting the world know, hey, I'm here. I care about you. We are his way. So then, when you get to 1 Peter chapter 3, finally, it took him three chapters to get there. It's a good pastor, by the way. Finally, that's what you're all saying. Time's up. I'm looking at the clock. Time's up. Finally, all of you be like minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. When people hurt, you love them. When we see people do these evil things, stop and pray for them. Stop and pray for them. And then he quotes Psalm 34. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. We saw those words, didn't we? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That whole quote is from Psalm 34, where we just came from. Now it makes sense. Psalm 34 gives us a picture of David when he just escaped with his life, and he's gone, ah, God rescued me. And that's what he's saying there. That's what he's saying. When you find yourself in that place, just be patient. And when you work your way through it, stop and praise God and lead others, invite them into that praise. Show integrity in your faith. That's what he's saying. I think it's why he quoted Psalm 34. That was the only, he didn't have First Peter, he was writing it. He's looking at Psalm 34 and said, there's an example of someone who follows the Lord. Now I know what it looks like. Show integrity in your faith if you're in the middle of it, just be patient. Just be patient. God, thank you for sending your son. The ultimate, the supreme, the best, the perfect example to us of what it means to to be patient and to, uh, to endure hardship. If that involves suffering, to endure suffering. Lord, I I just pray that if you call any of us to go through hard times, help us. Help us. Show us the same grace you showed Christ and David and Peter. And Lord, help us cry out when we're all done and invite others to glorify. Come glorify the Lord with me. I have tasted, I have seen that he is good. Thank you for that. And once again, thank you for a psalmist who would write down his personal journey so that we could be invited into it and see how he responded to a life-threatening situation. Just giving us words, giving us prior examples of people who have done it well. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus, because we believe in